0: Players podcast stand by. Places please. Hosts and guests, places please. House lights go. Curtain go. Podcast
1: go. Welcome to Places Please, a podcast produced by the Community Players Theater in Beatrice, Nebraska. I'm Jamie Ulmer, managing artistic director at the theater, and this is season 4, episode 2 for our production of Ordinary Days. This musical opens our 2022-2023 regular season. Coming up in Act 2, we have a very special guest. The show's composer, Adam Guan, was gracious enough to join us for an extended conversation. We talk about everything, from the show, his career, the development of new musical theater works, and uh, Audra McDonald. You are really going to enjoy listening to our conversation. But first, we have to visit Act 1. Ordinary Days is a four-person contemporary musical written by Adam Guan. In the show, Jason and Claire have just moved in together, taking their relationship to the next level. But Jason can't help feeling there is something holding Claire back from fully committing to their new life together. Meanwhile, Deb is a frazzled graduate student, struggling to find the focus of her thesis and keep track of all of her research notes. Then there's Warren. A free spirit with big dreams of making an impact on the world, but no idea how. Over the course of several ordinary days, paths cross and maybe, just maybe, this group of strangers will find what they are looking for. Playing Warren, who spends most of his days handing out flyers with uplifting little sayings to strangers on the street, is Connor Husa. Frantic grad student Deb is played by Elena Rini, Natalie Fromm, and Brandon Clark are the apartment-merging couple Claire and Jason. The show had its first production in 2007, before being produced off-Broadway at the Roundabout Theatre Company in 2009. Now, normally at this point in the podcast, we would talk a little bit more about the show's history, or discuss our design approach to the production, or some riveting thing like that but we're going to draw the curtain on act one earlier than usual because all of this and a lot more is answered in our interview with adam guan in act two so we'll jump to the end of the act by saying i'm the director of the show jan malone is our musical director and accompanist the stage manager is ashley hothan our production runs approximately 85 minutes and there is no intermission The show is rated A3 on our production rating scale. That means it is for most audiences, or the equivalent of a PG 13 movie. And that brings down the curtain for Act 1. Stand by for Act 2. I am now joined by a very special guest the award winning writer of Ordinary Days, Adam Guan. Adam, Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It's it's really great to have you here and chatting with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So first, let's talk about, you know, the reason you're here, Ordinary Days. Um, I have to tell you, when I told our music director that I was going to have you on the podcast, she legitimately freaked out. (laughs) And and for a woman of her age to freak out and fangirl was kind of fun (laughs) to watch. Um, That's amazing. uh, But she wanted to make sure that that you knew how much she is enjoying playing your score, but also working on it with the cast. Oh, that's so... That's yeah so you've got great. a huge fan there
0: <laughs> i do I do feel like the the music director slash piano player of ordinary days is, is certainly the hardest working person up on stage because it is it's eighty five minutes up straight through of piano playing. so i always it always means a lot from one piano player to another to hear that they're having fun working on it.
1: Yeah, last night as she was leaving rehearsal, she she did say, "My hands are a little sore. I kind of <laughs> forgot playing this long." <laughs> there are lots of notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, she had a ton of questions she wanted me to ask you. But yeah. uh, we'll get to some of those, but one that she wanted to know and I think our listeners will be interested in as well is to uh, talk about how you came up with the concept for the show.
0: Yeah, so Originally, I just started writing a bunch of self-contained, almost cabaret-type songs. Um, When I started writing the show, it was very in vogue for composers of my generation to write, um, you know, concert evening song cycles, these kind of like calling cards as songwriters that weren't necessarily musicals or telling stories, but just collections of individual songs. Um, So I just started writing a few of these kinds of cabaret-type songs, um, one of which uh, was the song I'll Be Here, which uh, is in Ordinary Days. Um, And I just got very bored very quickly trying to put (laughs) together a kind of song cycle because I love telling stories. I love that you know, in a musical, you get to follow characters over the course of an evening and see how they grow and see how they change. Um, So I just got bored writing standalone songs. Um, But I I enjoyed some of the songs that I had written and particularly enjoyed some of the characters that I felt like I was starting to get to know through these songs. Um, So Ordinary Days really came about using... Um, a couple songs, there, there were a couple other songs that I had written, which I, w- are no longer a part of the show, but were sort of instrumental in helping create some of the other characters that wound up in the piece. Um, so it started from those individual songs um, and just grew into, oh, I like these characters. I want to follow them over the course of an evening and figure out what their, what their lives are like. Um, and that's, that's really how the song, the, the show came to be.
1: Oh that's that's really interesting. Yeah, you 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 hear that sometimes, you know, with those kind of cabaret songs that you're like, I wonder if this is part of something bigger or it feels like yeah. it belongs to something. <laughs> um but yeah, that's interesting. Um that you wrote the show as part of a fellowship with the uh, Dramatist Guild. Could you talk about what that involved?
0: Yeah, it was uh, an amazing program which is is still exists um for young or emerging Um, musical theater writers and emerging playwrights. Um, And one of the, you know, there are are a couple different writers group type programs that exist. But one of the things that make this particular fellowship really interesting and really appealing to me was that it's songwriters and playwrights together in a group. Um, Usually you're sort of isolated, like a group of songwriters talking about songs. Um, but, but having this program where playwrights were in the room um, added this whole other level of how you can tell a story on stage and what questions playwrights were asking um, uh, in the context of, of sharing songs for a musical. Um, so it was really, really fascinating. And basically the way it was structured, when I did the program, it was run by lynn aarons and stephen flaherty who are just an amazing legendary broadway writing team they wrote ragtime they wrote anastasia um uh Seussical, just like so many wonderful wonderful shows um and they are so generous with their time and in terms of nurturing and developing the next generation of musical theater writers. Um, So they were running the group and we would meet every week um, just to share what we were working on and get feedback from the other writers in the group, as well as they would bring in very fancy guest writers to come to listen to our work and give us critiques everyone from you know terence mcnally who they wrote with all the time to um very intimidating people like edward Albee came oh. um, just like <laughs> legends of the american theater coming and like listening to this song yeah. that you wrote last week yeah. um, it was Here's wild little
1: song don't tear it apart please <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly <laughs> uh, uh so uh so over the it was a year-long uh fellowship and so essentially over the course of this year i wrote the first draft of of ordinary days i would just bring in a new i i pushed myself to bring in a new song every week um so that by the end of the year i felt like i i had a collection of of songs um that added up to something um and uh, yeah that was really sort of the how how the show got was during that fellowship.
1: Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. And so then once the show was written, what was the the journey after that?
0: I did at the time I had a number of friends from college who had started various theater companies and we were just kind of doing our own thing. And so I initially, you know, just did a, a, a first reading of the, of the show with friends, friends that I knew playing the parks, friends that I knew in the audience, just to get a sense of, um, how it was all hanging together, what people were, were responding to, what questions people still had. Um, and it just so happened that at the time, Um, Penn State University was starting a program where they wanted their students to get involved in the development of new musicals, Um, and so the show was recommended to them to, to the, one of the faculty members of Penn State um, and wound up being selected as the show that the students would help develop over the course of a semester. So I had, as actually one of their classes, they would kind of like workshop oh, cool. this show. Um, so I had this incredible opportunity to, to spend um, you know, a, a semester working with these students, de- further developing the show. Um, I know a couple of uh, songs like I think 100 Story City um was written during that semester with those students um and I, I one other one for sure maybe big picture some a couple of the songs um were i remember being written during that period um and uh and from there i just went through the the at the time, even more tedious than it is now, process of sending the script and the demos out to any theater in the country that I thought might yeah. be interested, um, which back then was not just, you know, uploading it online. It was like printing out the script and burning a CD and putting it in an envelope and bringing it to the, <laughs> the post office. Um, so I, I, I sent it to as many theaters as I could um, and got lots of rejection letters very kind rejection letters but rejection letters nonetheless and then there was one theater um the human race theater company in dayton ohio and they sent me a note and said hey we we just read and listened to the show that you sent Um, we really are interested in it And we happen to be part of this organization called the National Alliance for Musical Theater or NAMT, N-A-M-T. And they have a a big showcase every year, um, where basically so many theaters from across the country and producers come to New York and see excerpts of six new musicals. Um, And a lot of shows get their start in this way. Um, And, the way that you the way that you're even allowed to apply for this showcase is you have to be nominated by one of the member theaters of the organization so this theater in dayton said would you be interested in us nominating you to to submit your musical for the showcase and i said sure um (laughs) so they nominated me i sent in the musical um it was selected as one of the six for that year um and that showcase was really the thing that kind of launched not only the show, but my career as a writer, um, uh, the, the, uh, a fantastic company in New York called The Roundabout um, saw the, the presentation of the showcase um, and wound up producing it. Um, they're like a major company in, in New York. So it was a huge break um, for me and for the show. Um, and yeah, the show kind of got its start from there.
1: You know, I know... As a writer, as myself as a director and designer, sometimes as you're creating something, you have a moment that you really feel like, "Oh, everything's clicking. I'm being really clever. The creative juices are just <laughs> it's all there." You know, um, is there are there any moments in this show that really st- uh, stand out in your memory that when you did it, you're like, "Oh, oh, yeah, I I know what I'm doing now."
0: Mm, you know, there's one that I remember. There's a very there's a very small exchange between Warren and Deb at the start of the rooftop duet. The The rooftop song is my, I will confess, is my favorite song in
1: the, oh. in the,
0: the show. <laughs> um, and I think it's because to me it feels like this moment where I like when I figured it out, I was like, oh, this is kind of what the show is about. This is the thing that I was feeling this whole time. and I didn't quite know how to articulate it. And now finally bringing these two characters together in this moment, I feel like I I can articulate this thing that I hadn't been able to before. But that but that secretly was sort of like why I felt like I was writing this show. Um, so when I figure when I when I wrote that that little exchange for them at the top this sort of get into that song was one of those moments for me where I was like, oh, I think I finally understand what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a nice feeling when you
1: you're like, "Oh, this is what I've been chasing all along." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's I, I we, this is something that uh one of our cast members uh said to ask you. Um they wanted to know if of the four characters, is there one that is the most Adam?
0: Yes, I would definitely think that Warren is the most me. Yeah. Um he's like he's kind of like an optimist to a fault. And I think that is, that very much describes me. Um, uh, so yeah, so I think Warren is definitely the closest to who I am as a person.
1: <laughs> and you're an expert cat sitter and- uh <laughs> at rehearsal last night, um the cast, we've been in, uh, we're two weeks into rehearsal when we're recording this. Oh, um, fantastic. Uh, and uh, at rehearsal last night, we've been just doing music rehearsals um, and uh, the cast having really kind of just been inundated with the, with the music right now, um, they were, they were starting to think they're hearing little, little homages to other songs in some of the orchestration and, and, and things. And so my question to you is, are there any little little tricks or Easter musical Easter eggs hidden in the show? Hmm. That's a really good question. It's been a
0: while since I've thought about it. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm certain that there are, I mean, uh, I think especially the, you know, the, um, the the al- I would say the album that kind of made me really want to be a musical theater writer was Audra McDonald's very first album, which which ah. introduced a lot of the c- composers who at the time were very new, but who are now kind of like you know the the established guard of Broadway people like um, J- uh, Jason Robert Brown and Michael John Macissa. Um and so I definitely feel like those composers and those voices. W- were and are influences for me and, and and little glimmers of like what they do probably found their way into the DNA of this particular piece. I'm having a hard time thinking of specifics, but.
1: Yeah, no, but uh, it's funny that you say that because uh, the those composers' names came up uh, as they were like, this sure, sounds yeah. like this song from the, <laughs> he was obviously influenced by this. <laughs> It's true
0: that that album made a really big impact on me.
1: Um it it was so it was
0: such like exciting songwriting using I feel like using musical theater songs in a way that I hadn't really heard before, which I thought was really exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I remember when that album came out too. I listened to that CD um yeah, uh, same. <laughs> over and over and over. <laughs> and actually speaking of uh Audra McDonald, um you know, I first became aware of your show uh when I heard her recording of I'll be there. Oh nice, um, yeah. Uh on her album Come Back Home. Um what was it like for you to learn that someone like Audra McDonald was going to record one of your songs?
0: Um to say it was exciting would be the understatement of a lifetime. It was like I said she like she loomed so large because she was she was sort of a foundational part of what got me excited about writing musicals um, and uh so it was like enormously exciting it's still I, I, when I think about it now it's still enormously exciting to me um, what's funny about it is the process it was a very it was a like a comically drawn out process in terms of how the song wound up on the album um in that. Um a, a dear friend of mine became her music director. She'd been working for a long time with a music director named Ted Sperling, um, who's fantastic. And he um, kind of left to do other things. Um, and a really good friend of mine named Andy Einhorn um, became her new music director. Um, and so he was the one that introduced the song to her. Um, and initially she was doing a concert, a big concert tour all around the country, um, and Andy called me up and said, um, "Audra really loves the song. Um, she wants to test it out at a, a, a few of these stops on the concert tour, just to make sure it kind of like fits into the program and suits her voice." And and she she she's amazing in that you know, as incredible a, a talent that she is, she she always really wants to make sure that she can accomplish something like she's never we all assume like oh she could do anything of course she's she Um, she
1: walks into a room she can just do whatever she wants
0: yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um but she's very she's very um uh she she wants to make sure she she approaches material at at, with beginner's eyes like at all the rest of us and wants to make sure that she can actually deliver on something um so she was so my friend andy was like she's gonna test out the song on four stops on the concert tour um And I said, fantastic, just let me know where and I will come. I'm not going to miss it. And he was like, great, the the stops are like Boston, Providence, Philadelphia, and something else. And I was like, fantastic. Um, And it was all within one week. And of course, that week, I happened to be doing a workshop of a show in California. And so I was like, what do I, if this happens, and it's the only time it ever happens, and I miss it, I'm going to regret it forever. So I wound up talking to the theater in California and arranging it so that the day off that we were taking in the workshop fell in the middle of the week and I could take a red eye to Philadelphia to see Audra sing the song and then I'd come right back. (laughs) Um, So the day before I'm supposed to leave, I get a phone call from Andy and He says, I have good news and bad news. And I said, "Uh, well, tell me the bad news first. Um, And he said, there's a stagehand strike in Philadelphia and the concert is canceled. Oh, no. Um, And I said, exactly. Um, He said, the good news is um, we're going to do the song in the rest of the concert tour. And I was like, fantastic. I'll get to see it. I said, does the the concert tour come to New York? Um, And he said, well, it, it comes to Carnegie Hall. But the Carnegie Hall program is going to be different from the program on the road, and we're still not sure what that is. But, but I was like, "That's totally fine. I'll come see it wherever else on the road. Like that'll be that'll be fine." Um, fast forward to it gets uh, included in the Carnegie Hall program. So the first time that I saw her perform it was also my debut at Carnegie Hall. Oh my god, <laughs> which, is, which is just in just. Unbelievable. I mean it's a, it's incredible. Um so I had this moment at Carnegie Hall where i was like, oh my god, on McDonald just sang my song at Carnegie Hall and like pointed me out in the audience and like it was an unbelievable thing. Um uh and then there was this conversation that she was making an album and she didn't know what she was including on the album, and of course she it ended up on the album. So it was a very it was a lot it was a drawn out road to oh. the, the song getting onto the album, but uh, but happily it all worked out in the end.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I've seen her in concert uh, a couple of times and, and seen her do that song a few times. And and I tell people, you know, go and watch her sing that song because it's a master class in how to act a song. She's unbelievable. Yeah. Doing any kind of affectation or just just sitting there and singing a song and telling a story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, <laughs> So now I'm going to quote Warren and Deb from the show, and I want (laughs) to ask you, Adam, what's your big picture? Oh gosh, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a
0: great question, and I think, honest, I mean, maybe similarly to Warren and Deb, I feel like the answer changes at any given moment. Or maybe that's the thing that they learn over the course of ordinary days is that it's okay for the answer to that question to change over any given moment. Um uh my answer to that question right now. I mean I suppose in the big picture of things, I would I would love to have a show on Broadway one day. I have I have yet to have a, a Broadway show. I've had a, a few shows off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um uh, uh but the that that shiny dream of a Broadway show is still very exciting to me. So I think I think that's part of my big picture. Um, um, and honestly, this is going to sound totally cheesy, but I, but hopefully it, it's also sincere. Um, is that <laughs> is that stuff like this, like connecting with you and and your company and your production um, in Beatrice, is so thrilling and special to me. Like the, the the joy that I get from writing theater comes from the fact that you create something and then you let it go into the world and other people put their stamp on it and find a way for their voice to come through the material. Um, and that to me is so, so exciting. And so just more more of that, I think, is also part of my, my big picture.
1: Oh, yeah. awesome. Well, I'm glad we can be a, a little... A little uh, flyer floating through the wind. Um, yes,
0: exactly. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so, how how did you get started and and involved uh, in writing musical theater? Where where did that come from? What radioactive um, tap dance shoe wearing spider bit you <laughs> and uh, gave you your superpower origin story?
0: <laughs> it's a good question. I'm definitely, you know, the outsider in my family. Like no one else in my family is involved in the arts at all. So it was always this like weird thing that I had and was drawn to that did not come from my immediate family members um and it started with it started with piano like as a as a kid I was just drawn to pianos and anytime I encountered a piano I would go up and sound out a song that I knew from the radio or something like that um and so my parents very very wisely and very kindly um put me in piano lessons um when they saw that I was you know for some weird reason, drawn pianos. Um, and it, it just so happened that my neighbor, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and my neighbor growing up was the organist for the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. Um, and so he became my, he was my piano teacher. Um, so I really, even before theater came into the picture, i i you, you would go to the symphony um and classical my took classical piano lessons and and that that world was sort of my my entree into music and the arts um and then as I got a little bit older, I started getting involved in the drama club in school and and got really interested in theater um uh and ended up i wound up going to college to study theater like I really fell in love with theater but was doing theater and piano on very separate kind of parallel tracks. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I was very involved in theater in school and then after school would, you know, take piano lessons. Um, so it wasn't until I got to college um, and I had a teacher who was a composer. He wasn't, it was it wasn't a, a composition class, but the teacher was a composer um, and he was the the first person to say hey you should like he would he heard me play the piano one day and said hey you should you should like see what that's all about um that that feels like i feel like i can hear who you are and what your voice is like through the music that you play um and he very sadly uh passed away my my freshman year of college, so I had him for like a semester and a half, um, but he really made an impact on me, um, and especially kind of dis- after he had passed away, um, discovering all of his music and his work as a composer um, kind of put me on that path, um, and that's, re- that, that's really how I got started writing in, in earnest.
1: Hmm. Yeah, uh, so but what excites you about songwriting? you know
0: what excites me about it from the writing perspective is that it is an incredibly rigorous structured craft like full of restrictions and full of I, i won't say rules but there are so the way that you build a song is so technical and so architectural and then at the same time they're so abstract and magical and about these like emotions that you can't really capture just in words. Um, And so I love, I love getting to put those two sides of my brain together, Um, getting to kind of like investigate feelings and ideas and questions that I have in life that like feel very overwhelming and very amorphous and getting to put them into a very tightly structured box that helps me like, figure out kind of an answer to them or a way to to, to articulate them. I just love the way that those two sides of your brain work, have to work together when you're writing a song.
1: Yeah, that, that's uh, really interesting. As you were saying that, it just made me think of it's kind of like uh, uh, being the executive director of an arts organization. Um, <laughs> you have to you have to uh, have that structured um, uh, side of your brain that uh, you know follows all the rules and knows how to do grant applications and write budgets, and then you also have to have that creative side that can go into an empty space and go, oh, and this is going to have video projection that does this fabulous thing, and yeah. <laughs> we're going to bring people to tears this way and yeah so <laughs> yeah it's amazing it's a it's amazing how those
0: two those two parts of your brain can work together because they seem so opposed but when you can figure out how to like get them to collaborate you can do you can do amazing things you can have projections that make people cry <laughs> that's right
1: <laughs> <laughs> well you know we talked about this uh Kind of uh, passed over it just uh, briefly uh, earlier, but uh, one of the questions that uh, our cast wanted to know was uh, what composers uh, have inspired you.
0: Oh yeah, well I would definitely, I definitely think all the composers on that that first Autumn McDonald album um, were hugely eye opening to me, just in terms of what musical theater could do and be, and the kinds of characters that you could have in a musical and like. The way the different ways you could use music to capture um the emotional lives of these characters um so like that the adam Gettle, Jason robert brown michael john mccusa like that kind of generation um it's interesting because i think i think i'm probably part of the first generation of musical theater writers where Stephen Sondheim was kind of like part of the establishment. <laughs> like like yeah, so many yeah. people think he's like the vanguard for so many people, but by the time I was doing theater, he was like part of the canon. Like and I love loved, loved right. and love his work and it, it's amazing, but it wasn't it wasn't. It didn't feel groundbreaking to my generation because it was the thing that existed. It, he was the genius. Like yeah, that was already established. It had always
1: been yeah, <laughs> um, there. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: and so this newer crop of composers, I think, probably felt to me the way Sondheim felt to the generation before, which was like, "Oh my gosh, this is like new and inspiring, and I can't wait to see what these people are going to do next." Um, uh, so I loved them. Um, I also grew up loving Tori Amos, um, yep. who is also from Baltimore and we studied at the same music school in Baltimore. Uh-huh. Um, and she was a, obviously an amazing piano player and kind of made piano playing like cool in, <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> in pop music. Um, uh, so Tori Amos was another big, um, sort of outside of the theater obviously, but, but she was a big influence uh, growing up and, and,
1: and still. Yeah, um, so uh, you know, a, a creative mind is always working, uh, and you're you're always thinking. What are you working on right now?
0: Um, right now, I'm in the middle of uh, a number of new projects, which is exciting. Um, one of the, one of the things that the, the pandemic and the shutdown did. Um, Was I think I was very lucky in that a a lot of writing opportunities came my way, even though productions weren't happening, Um, but it also put a lot of most of the projects that I'm working on now are at the very beginning stages, whereas before kind of naturally just through the development of, of various projects. Um, I have, you know, a piece at the very beginning, a piece toward the end, a piece in right. the middle, um, which felt a little more manageable than, than staring <laughs> at a blank page for like four different brand new brand new projects. Um, but um, but I'm uh, I'm starting a bunch of new projects, a couple of which are um, original stories like Ordinary Days, a couple of which are um, adaptations of um, ones an adaptation of uh, a film. Um, uh, and then I have, I, I just got back from uh, a workshop of a project that we had um, premiered right before the shutdown, um, uh, uh, a project called Scotland PA. Um, I was
1: going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, we had done it at the actually at the roundabout, the same theater that 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 premiered Ordinary Days, premiered this new piece um, right mm-hmm. before the shutdown. We got in right under the wire um, and started working with a, um, a producer after that production to give the show further life. Um, and of course, had all these plans that got scrapped because of the shutdown um, and finally are getting back to that project. So just had a really terrific workshop with those producers. Um, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll see more life for that project um, uh, in the...
1: The years ahead. Cool. Cool. Um, so l- let's talk a little bit about the challenges of getting new musical theater works produced. Yeah. Um, you know, you hear people say that they want to see new shows um, or they either want that or they want to see the thousands revival of Music Man. Uh, <laughs> Which, not to disparage Music Man, we're closing our season with it.
0: Um, (laughs) It's a great show.
1: But uh, how do you go about uh, getting a new show on stage? And what do you think can be done to encourage more producers and audience members to take a chance on new works?
0: Yeah, um, it is really, really difficult. I mean, so much of it, I think, is just taking a leap of faith that you've written something that is interesting and exciting to you and will be interesting and exciting to other people. Um, uh, I think the biggest thing I think is, is I just encourage, you know, producers and audiences, especially to not be afraid to take a risk and go see something that you don't know much about. Um, And the risk, of course, is that you won't enjoy it and it won't speak to you, Um, which is a, Okay, I think, um, uh, but I think that kind of curiosity, especially especially among theater people, like the 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 thing that always always gets me is that is people who sort of like have branded themselves as like theater soup theater super fans, but still <laughs> only go see like the safe bets. It's like I actually I don't think you can be a theater super fan if you're not going to take a risk and go see something that you might not like. But that is something new and something different and something that you've never heard about before. Um, so yeah, I just, I just, I just encourage people to, to take a leap on something that you haven't heard of and, and you might discover your new favorite thing. Yes.
1: Awesome. Uh, do you have any uh, advice for aspiring songwriters? Mm,
0: I think it's that I think it's that leap of faith thing that I was just talking about. That that trusting that if something is interesting enough to you to write about that it will find an audience who is also interested in it. Because I think that can be a really daunting thing that stops a lot of people from writing, feeling like something that they are interested in and excited about is just not gonna appeal to a big enough audience for the show to have a life. Um, um, When actually I think part part of writing a show is almost, an act of convincing that audience that this is exciting. Like you're so excited about it, that you're pouring this excitement and pouring this passion into a show that's gonna get other people excited about it. Um, so I think, I think that piece of advice, which was given to me, um, that just trusting that that what you want to say will find its way to people who want and need to hear it
1: well, coming back to Ordinary Days as we start kind of the process of wrapping up this conversation, <laughs> um, uh, since the show's been out in the world, have there been productions or approaches to the show that really um, surprised or stood out to you in how they uh, interpreted the show?
0: Yeah. You know, the fascinating thing about this show is it's a small show. There's there's four characters in the show, four actors. So it's a really intimate musical. Um, and I've seen it done in teeny tiny spaces and i've seen productions in huge spaces that i sort of like lovingly referred to as like oh that's like the broadway production of ordinary days like, <laughs> sets that move and like different layers like and all that kind of thing um i would i think the most fascinating production i saw was i got to go um over to seoul south korea when when they did the premiere over there um and it was translated in korean so it was like a completely um like new wild experience um but the the amazing thing was you know this show in the states even in the bigger productions that kind of have more production value to them and play in bigger theaters um it always the kind of intimacy of it the like chamber musical nature of it is always embraced because i think i think people in the states kind of know what that is they know that there are these like small intimate um, off-Broadway kind of musicals. Um, in Korea, there's I think there's less of a, a distinction between like Ordinary Days and like Phantom of the Opera, say. So <laughs> the treatment of Ordinary Days was like, heat, spectacle and production numbers. Like the thing that that struck me that blew my mind, which I thought was so amazing, and something that no one in the United States would ever do is they took the song calm which is like a solo song. It's just one character telling the story. And they turned it into this production number where like they had an actor dressed up like a giant book, like chasing chasing everyone on the stage like it was it was unbelievable and i would never in a million years would have thought to do something like that and honestly i don't think anyone in the u.s in a million years would thought to like turn calm into a production number um but they did and it was it was amazing i mean it was just uh, uh, it was fascinating and amazing
1: (laughs) i can just imagine it's like deb's nightmare come to life that's that's, that's
0: exactly what it was it was as if calm was staged as like Tevia's dream in fiddler on the roof like it was
1: just spectacular (laughs) (laughs) um oh that's that's great (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm sure, have you heard from people who have been really moved or impacted by the show? Uh, obviously, I'm sure you have, but.
0: I, ha- I I, have, you know, it's been one of the kind of remarkable things about the show is the way that it has seemed to reach and touch so many people. Um, you know, when I was writing it, it felt like, a. again, this is to the the, the piece of advice that I said about finding your audience. When I was writing it, it felt like a very personal, very kind of insular piece to me. Like it was it was the, the question, like I said, the questions that sort of excited me about why I wanted to write the piece um, felt like very particular to me and what I was doing at that time in my life. Um, and there was something so eye-opening to see from the very first production of it, that it touched so many people of so many different ages, so many different walks of life. Um, and, and yeah, people, people reach out and, and, and just with like really sweet little thank you notes to say like, Hey, this, this, this show meant something to me at this moment in my life, which I think is so unbelievably moving. I mean, that's, that's, that's why you do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and that, uh, you know, actually that transitions right into my next question for you is, you know, uh, what do you hope people take away from from your music?
0: Um, you know, with this show in particular, this show was always, for me, about reminding ourselves to connect with the people and the life that is, like, right in front of us. Um, and as the years have gone by since I wrote the show, I feel like that message has become even more salient and even more necessary um just in the you know in the ways that that technology has sort of like changed the way that we connect with people and and coming goodness coming out of the past several years of of shutdowns and 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 isolation and all that kind of thing um and and right now i think you know finding our way back to that in-person connection and why it's so important um so i hope that that's what audiences take away from this just the importance of of connecting to one another person to person and, and how that can can change us and impact us for the better
1: yeah well i i think that will uh kind of wrap it up for us here but i is there anything else that you'd like to add or or mention uh before we uh, kind of close things out oh gosh
0: um uh come see the show at, at the Actress <laughs> community players um and, and and break a leg to the the cast and the and the crew please give them my my best and and tell them i said hello
1: all right and uh where can people find uh more about you and your work um
0: you can check out my website which is adamguan.com um and uh i'm also also on the the various social media things to like Lesser and greater degrees, depending on my mood um, but but you'll find me on Instagram and Twitter and all of those those things as well,
1: yeah, awesome well, well and actually in speaking of twitter that's how we connected that's how
0: we connected yes, yes
1: but uh, so the you know you know the composers are real people too <laughs>
0: it's true no that's the, that's another piece of advice that I tell tell aspiring writers is like people whose work you respond to are people that you want to to um learn from or work with like we're all just we're all just people and we probably have email addresses and there's nothing there's nothing bad about you know reaching out to people
1: all right and now that you will be thoroughly spammed by all the (laughs) the, uh, the 20 old ladies who listen to our podcast uh (laughs) uh, uh, adam i really cannot thank you enough for joining us and taking time to talk with us today I, i really really appreciate it
0: my pleasure thanks again for having me
1: It's time for The Curtain Call. This podcast is a production of Community Players Theatre in downtown Beatrice, Nebraska. Our production of Ordinary Days runs two weekends, September 9th through the 11th and the 16th through the 18th. Tickets are available by calling the box office or visiting our website. Opening night of the show features a special pre-show reception and post-show meet-and-greet with the cast for our First Nighter patrons. Not a First Nighter or a season ticket holder yet? There's still time. Season tickets are available through the end of this show's run. Next up on the CP stage in October is the comedy Four Old Broads. I'm Jamie Ulmer, this has been Places Please, and we'll see you at the theater.
0: Curtain in? House Lights Up. Thank you, podcast. Make sure to reset your props and hang up your costumes.